Hi everyone and welcome back to You're Killing Me Smalls, a Canadian true crime podcast. I hope everyone had a very restful, healthy, and relaxing uh, Christmas and Boxing Day and New Year's uh, will be is right around the corner. Um, at the time that this uploads, it'll be tomorrow. Um, so I think we're all looking forward to 2020 ending. I know I had a really nice break with my family. It was a good break from studying and just getting to hang out with my family. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to this episode. This episode is about a topic very near and dear to my heart. Um, I will talk about that in a minute, but I just want to say thank you to again to everyone who's supported me. Um, I've had a lot of interactions on social media lately, um, and if you've received a message asking to listen to my podcast, I ask that you do. Um, it just, it would help me get out there. This is just like a side gig for me, um, but it'd be great to get some more listeners and maybe start making a little money. Um, Yeah, but that's about all the news that I have. So let's just jump right into this episode. Before we begin with this case, I do just want to put a quick trigger warning and listener's discretion notice here. This case does talk about sexual assault and violence against women, especially Indigenous women. Um, if that is triggering for you, I ask that you listen to this episode with caution, or if you choose not to listen to this episode, feel free, do what's best for you and your mental health. Um, just take care of yourself. There will be numbers at the uh, end of this episode that you can call, and they will also be in the uh, episode description. If you feel that you are in crisis, feel free to give them a call. Today, I'm going to be telling the story of Cindy Gladue. Um, before I begin, I need to do a little bit, tell you a little bit of background about why this case is so important. Cindy is one of the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, which is a growing genocide in Canada. Some quick facts. Indigenous women and girls are 12 times more likely to, go, to be murdered or go missing than other women in Canada. And they are 16 times more likely than Caucasian women. So an Indigenous girl or an Indigenous woman is 16 times more likely than I am to go missing. And that's ridiculous. That shouldn't be happening. Indigenous women are sexually assaulted three times more often than non-Indigenous women. So that means the rate of sexual assault is skyrocketing against these women. And it's often because they're seen as less than, less human. The missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls is a genocide. Point blank. The rate that these women and girls go missing or are murdered is ridiculous. There's a wide array of factors that lead to the lack of care from RCMP and even the general public. And I'm going to talk about some of these factors here. First, Indigenous people have been discriminated against since colonization. The Indian Act, the reserve system, residential schools, intergenerational trauma have seen an increase in the use of both drugs and alcohol as a means of coping. These people weren't given they weren't given access to um, supports to help them cope, and that's why we see so much drug use. And it's not a reason to treat them any differently. They're struggling with an illness. Indigenous women have been especially targeted targeted by colonial policies. The hypersexualization of Indigenous women has led to an othering effect, seeing Indigenous women as being other, or drug addicts, or prostitutes, 
puts them at a greater risk of both being assaulted and even being killed or going missing. And the police do nothing to help. Because these women are seen as less than human. They're seen as sex workers, when sometimes it's all that they can do to survive. They're seen as drug addicts, but they don't know the history that they have with drugs or alcohol or anything like that. And that's really disheartening because I know if, so, if I were to go missing, nothing would stop people from looking for me. People would be searching day and night. But if an Indigenous girl goes missing, it's often left up to the family to take care of searching for her. The police have done nothing. Canada launched an inquiry into the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and ended up with 231 recommendations spread across different levels of government. The finding also called what is happening a genocide. That's why I said at the beginning of this whole spiel. It was because of the death of Tina Fontaine, a 15-year-old girl who was found in the Red River in Winnipeg. 15 years old. She was failed by the foster care system, by police, by the hospital, everyone. I'm not going into that case today. It's so much detail. I will cover it in a later episode, though. Manitoba and BC have the two highest rates of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Manitoba, one of the highest. BC has the infamous Highway of Tears, which again, I will cover in another episode. There's just so much information. I'm going to make this a little, I'm thinking of making this a little series talking about the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. This week, I'm going to be telling you about this week, I'm going to be telling you about the tragic story of Cindy Gladue and how her death changed how people, how uh, sex criminals are prosecuted in Canada. Just a little background on Cindy for you guys. She was 36 years old at the time of her death. She was a mother of three. She was born in Athabasca on July 23rd, 1974, and she was the eldest of four siblings. Her upbringing was rough, but she was raised by a loving mother and a caring stepfather, even though he struggled with both anger issues and alcohol addictions. The family ended up um, moving to Edmonton, which is 146.7 kilometers, about an hour and 45 minutes away from Athabasca, in search of a fresh start. So one thing uh, that I found in my research of Cindy was she was very cautious. She was always very aware of her surroundings and her own personal safety. Um, she was also known to be fiercely protective of her friends and family. When she was out with uh, her girlfriends, out hanging out with her girlfriends, she was the one to keep an eye out for her and her friends while they navigated the dark Edmonton streets. She often worried about either her or her friends being mistaken for sex workers and being ab abducted. She knew this because she was Indigenous. She was Cree. She was Métis. She had those communities and she knew. She knew what was happening to Indigenous women in those communities. Like most girls, she dreamed of about, she dreamed about going to university and living that traditional white picket fence life and to be loved and have love. But unfortunately, that wouldn't happen for her. Cindy fell in with the rough crowd, you know, the people who drink a lot, the stoners, kids who don't care in high school. 
which unfortunately led to her developing an alcohol addiction, much like her stepfather. And I'm not blaming her. I understand it can happen to anyone. It, that does not mean she's any less human. She And she had, unfortunately had to turn to prostituting to fund her habit. So it was survival sex work. She wasn't doing it because she wanted to. She was doing it to fund an addiction, which is so heartbreaking to know. In 1996, Cindy gave birth to her first daughter, Brienne. In 1999, she had um, another daughter who she named Brandy. And in 2001, she had her third and final daughter named Cheyenne. She, she was known to love her daughters with everything she had. Everything. Her daughters were her life. She cared for them. She did the best she could, but she was still fighting that addiction. And when that addiction spiraled out of control... Cindy's mom, Donna, stepped in to help raise her daughters. So Cindy was working as a prostitute, but only when it was necessary and just to feed her addiction, to fund that addiction. And on the night of June 21st, 2011, Cindy met with one of her clients for the second time. This monster's name was Bradley Barton. Bradley was a long-haul trucker long-haul trucking driver from Ontario, which meant he would drive long stretches, oftentimes across the country. That was his job. Gave him a lot of freedom. They met at the Yellowhead Inn in Edmonton. The next morning, Cindy was found in the bathtub of Barton's room. She had bled out alone in the bathtub from an 11-centimeter wound in her vaginal wall. I just want to take a second to emphasize that. This loving, bright mother met with him, this man for the second time. So he already knew her. And he killed her. She bled out alone and cold and scared in a bathtub. She had no one around her. And that is so heartbreaking. So Barton went about his day normally, which is so infuriating. No one knew that Cindy was dead. Her daughters had no idea that they didn't have a mother anymore. Her Cree communities had no idea that another bright young woman had been killed in an act of sexual violence. Barton did not call the police or for medical attention for the woman he had left bleeding in his hotel room. He didn't care. This is one of many times we're going to see that he doesn't care about Cindy. He doesn't care about her life. Until a co-worker, not, he didn't even think, hey, maybe I should call the cops. Um, I should call for help. Maybe she's still alive. No, a co-worker was the one who urged him to call 911. He then lied to both the police and his colleagues about knowing Cindy and how she ended up in his room. The police obviously realized that this was absolute bullshit. They realized that. They realized this guy, they had him on surveillance tapes sitting with Cindy in the motel. So, two days later, he was arrested. Which was a shock to Cindy's family since her, fa since her mother and her family had been told that she had died from natural causes. They didn't know that she had blood out from that wound in her vagina. They didn't know. The police kept them in the dark didn't tell them anything. And that's how they treat Indigenous families in Canada. They don't tell. They don't help. They don't think to share the information that they have. 
and why. It's baffling. So, of course, this case ends up going to trial. Barton is uh, on trial on the case on charges of both first-degree murder, or they can either decide to charge him with manslaughter. So, first-degree, he planned to kill her. He wanted to kill her. Manslaughter, accidental death. This case, this court case is so infuriating for so many reasons, and I'm sorry, I'm going to swear when covering this part of the episode, because it is just ridiculous. So, I will mark this as explicit, don't worry, I'm going to be swearing. <laughs> During the court case, Cindy was referred to as a native and a prostitute over 50 times. They couldn't even give enough of a damn to call her by her name or even Ms. Gladue. They couldn't. They That's what happens to Native women in Canada. That's what happens to Indigenous women in Canada. They get referred to as a Native woman, and they get, to, they get referred to as a prostitute. While everyone else in the court system that's not Indigenous, that's not Black, that's white, gets referred to by their names, as they should. And that's why I'm referring to as, her as Cindy in this so many times, because she was so dehumanized both by Barton and by the court system. This is my way to make to rehumanize her, to make you realize she was a loving mother. She loved to cook. She was so much more than what the courts describe her as. This happened here her grieving mother was forced to hear her hear her daughter being called a prostitute while she was in the courtroom. She was, had just lost her eldest. Her baby girl, her oldest fucking daughter. And she had to sit there and listen to them deny her the human right of the deny her the humanity of calling her by her name. Something like this would never happen if a white girl was murdered. If a white girl was murdered, they'd be treating her with the utmost respect, painting her like she was an angel, even if she was a drug addict. Cindy had an addiction. But that doesn't make her any less of a human being. It gets more infuriating. A photo of Cindy's dead body was accidentally shown as evidence. And her mother was forced to see this. Imagine that. You just lost your child and you're sitting there at the trial for her killer. And all of a sudden on this big screen you see a photo of her dead body, her mutilated dead body. Oh, I can't even fucking imagine that. Like, what the fuck? The biggest indignity during this trial was the fact that the coroner decided it was proper to preserve pieces of Cindy's vaginal wall where that wound was. And it was presented as evidence in court. Imagine that. You're sitting there at a murder trial and someone holds up a, a preserved piece of someone's vagina. As evidence. So infuriating on so many different levels. It's so dehumanizing. Barton, of course, claimed that this injury was a result of rough but consensual sex. He claimed that she liked it rough. And that was enough to... That, oops, I mean, how does that happen? How do you accidentally slash an 11 centimeter wound... Into yeah, unless you have a weapon. So, on March 18th, 2011, a jury of nine white men and two white women 
acquitted Barton of first-degree murder and did not charge him with manslaughter. An all-white jury convicted, did not acquitted a white man of killing an indigenous woman. That sums up the justice system in a nutshell. The white people help the white people, indigenous people are forgotten. Oops, it was, yeah, she died, but it was consensual. Oh, that must make it all okay then. Yeah, that makes sense. This is infuriating. And basically, they thought, meaning that basically they thought that Cindy's death was the result of a reckless but consensual sex act gone wrong. They thought that she consented to whatever happened in that hotel room, which we might never know. We might never know what happened in that hotel room that night. There's only two people there, Bradley and Cindy, and one of them is dead. So, of course, the outcome of this trial sparked protests across the nation. Indigenous people were sick and tired of having this happen to their women. People were sick and tired of seeing white men, white people, get off scot-free. Now, this was just before what happened to Colton Bushy, which is another case I'm going to be covering. And it's another ridiculous case of a white guy not being charged, not being held accountable for his actions. Cindy was killed. And regardless of her occupation being sex worker or it being a consensual sex act, she was killed. And Bradley Barton killed her and he got away with it. And people were sick. They said, enough is enough. We're not going to let this happen. And it was indigenous communities. The indigenous communities rallied around Cindy's family. They rallied around. They helped. They supported. They did more than the police did. They did more than the courts did. They held people accountable. As we see so often in these cases. And it's so fucking infuriating. Because we talk all the time about, oh, Canada's so much better than the states. We don't have racism. We do. Ours just isn't that blatant. It's hidden. It simmers. And when it finally boils over, it gets ugly. But it's important that we listen to these indigenous voices. We listen when people say, hey, our girls are going missing. We need someone to care about this. And it's just, it's all types of harmful when we don't listen to people that need our help. So Barton killed her. She basically was killed twice. Once by Barton in that hotel room, and again when her memory was desecrated. They didn't care that she had three daughters. They didn't care that she loved to cook. They didn't care that she dreamed of going to university. They didn't care that she was strong in her indigenous communities, that she loved her culture with all her heart. They didn't care. They saw her as a prostitute and nothing more. It seemed as if she was the one on trial rather than the man that killed her. And that again, that happens so much. We criticize these women so much. Oh, well, she was a prostitute. Oh, well, she lived a high-risk lifestyle. But we need to look beyond those labels and realize these are women. These are people. These are human beings. They deserve just as much respect as you or I. That's the bottom line. Some good did come out of all the protesting, though. The protest sparked the attention of the Supreme Court of Canada, the highest court in Canada. 
all seven judges ruled that Cindy's case deserved a new trial. The judges found that the first judge failed to hold a rape shield hearing where a jury was absent and it was used to and it's used to determine whether sexual activity between Barton and Gladue uh, the night prior should be introduced as evidence that she consented to similar activity on the night that led to her death. So as I said in the beginning, she had met Barton before. This was her second time meeting her. So basically, they wanted to say, oh, well, she consented before, she consented now. The prosecutor in Alberta failed to ask for one of these. And that, um, this mistake was compounded when the judge failed to instruct the jury that evidence of the previous night's activities did not prove that Cindy consented to the sexual activity in question. A quote from Justice Moldaver. Her name was Ms. Gledew, not Native woman, and there was no reason why the former could not have been used as a sign of respect. It took a Supreme Court judge to say that to make people realize, hey, maybe we should treat people with respect and not call them a prostitute or a Native woman. It took the highest court in Canada to get it across to some people in this country, and they still don't get it to this day. So this trial, this retrial, was called groundbreaking. And that, in most cases, that's a good thing. It means, oh, something different, something good's going to come out of this. But not in this case. And that's really sad. This was in, 20, in 2020. It happened earlier this year. The pretrial hearings happened in February of this year. That is sad that this is considered groundbreaking in Canada at this time. Because basically meant that there had to be two trials before it was determined that someone that kills a sex trade worker should be held responsible for their actions. When someone gets killed in murder, if they're shot by a gun, we don't ask, oh, well, did they consent before to this? No, it's only when it's a sex worker. It's only when someone engaged in sex that we ask, oh, well, did they consent before? They must have consented. What were they wearing? And we see that a lot in all these cases. And it's disgusting that this still happens in Canada in 2020. And the fact that we are so, so, what's the word? We're so hesitant to hold these men accountable for killing Indigenous women. It's only perpetuating the stereotype that we don't care about our Indigenous people in this country. Now, I know I've been on my high horse a lot about this, and I, I'm i not perfect. This is a part that I, this is a particular issue that I am very, very passionate about, but I am not the expert on this. I am not. I'm going to link some amazing Indigenous podcasts that talk about this, epi these, this epidemic in great detail because that are told by Indigenous people, because I can only tell so much. I refuse to talk over Indigenous voices. I will lift up Indigenous voices. So as I said before, Barton's retrial started in Feb on February 3rd of this year, but I couldn't find anything. It was set for, his trial date was set for November, November 5th, I think, but I don't know if that happened because of COVID, because of the whole situation. Um, so if there is any updates, I will let you guys know. Um, but this case, it's just so infuriating. It's so, it hurts my heart to think this woman was violated while she was alive and again while she was dead. 
because the court system viewed her as less than. So that is the end for now of the story of Cindy Gladue because she was so dehumanized during her trial. Her name was Cindy. Her name was not Native woman. Her name was Cindy. She was a mother. She was a daughter. She was a sister. She was a friend. She was so much and could have been so much more. She was only 30 and he took her away. I got all my information from this um, case from both Amy, the uh, from an article written by uh, Amy the Maritimer on medium.com as well as aptnnews.com um, and here is a, a number indigenous people can call if they feel that they are experiencing emotional distress 1-855-242-3310 once again that's 1-855-242-3310 or you can online chat at hopeforwellness.ca once again, that's hopeforwellness.ca. For anyone that is experiencing a mental health crisis, please, please call 911 um, if it's an emergency. I want to thank everyone again for listening and supporting the podcast so much. Um, I want to thank everyone who has listened over the holiday break. And I hope you guys continue to enjoy the podcast. And I just hope to get so much better. Have a good one, guys.